Okay, I got a hypothetical question for you. If you forecast that someone is going to buy something and you're out of stock, did the sale actually ever happen? The answer just may be yes. Now I'm going to tell you why. Let's get to it. Welcome, welcome, welcome! Another episode of IBF On Demand. I'm your passionate and unconstrained host, Eric Wilson. I'm coming to you previously recorded from an unfiltered Studio B here somewhere in Kentucky. You can find me at eric at ibf.org, eric at ibf.org. Give me your comments, hate mail, questions, whatever you may have there. We do have a sponsor for this, as usual, Arkiva, your one-plan SNOP software solution. They help you manage your end-to-end constraints and do a great job at it as well, so check them out. Us as demand planners, forecasters, business forecasting, predictive analytics, in our roles, a lot of times in organizations, we have two primary objectives. We want to create the best view of what's going to happen We want it to be unbiased and a lot of times unconstrained as well. And we focus on that second part as well, that unconstrained part. There's a lot of talk about it, especially when we're talking about SNOP and demand reviews. We always go into one of the best practices of an SNOP demand review is producing an unconstrained forecast of what potential is going forward. We talk about that. I have a scenario for you. What happens if you really want that unconstrained forecast, but you know about constraints? You have known constraints in the future. What do you do with them? If you have long-term product shortages that last months sometimes, operational shutdowns that's occurring, uh, a pandemic that may occur type situation, when you have these things that are occurring, these known constraints, when do they become part of your unconstrained forecast, especially in demand review? That's a little bit what we're going to talk about today. When those outside constraints become part of your inside unconstrained forecast. And there's scenarios out there. There's scenario. Imagine looking at a nine-month or longer lead times, and you're forecasting your time horizon is three or four months. What do you do? I know someone who's actually faced with that in his career most recently and actually has a long career of being able to help manage this balance between constrained and unconstrained. That's what he did. Steve Haney is over 20 years experience in supply chain management, including most of it with international multi-plant manufacturers. He's certified professional forecaster through IBF. He's also a CPSM in supply chain management. And he's also Lean Six Sigma Core Green Belt. He's an international keynote speaker, frequent panelist, and presenter at professional conferences. He spoke with him many times at IBF conferences, been on panels with him. He's a forward-thinking problem solver with a proven attitude for identifying opportunities for improvement and implementing new programs and processes. You're going to help me welcome Steve Haney. Welcome, Steve. I'm excited to have you on this podcast. Well, thank you, Eric. It's a privilege to be here. Yeah, hopefully we're going to get together back at an actual conference. I mean, you definitely 
did a did the conference circuit. You were a keynote at a lot of conferences that I went to. It was excited to hear you. You've always been a great speaker. I've always gotten a lot of out of what you've you know talked about at the conferences. So hopefully we get to actually get to a live event at some point and see each other again. I agree, Eric. This has been a difficult twelve years or twelve years. Wow, <laughs> time's going long. It seems like twelve it, years. It, it just it seems has. that way. It's been crazy, but yeah, you know, these twelve months has just been crazy. Obviously, for the unfortunate people that you know have hit really hard with this, but for the conferences, I do really miss being able to get out, network with people, talk. You know, the, the learning that you do, especially with IBF, they do a great job pulling together great conferences and the amount of people and best practices that you can learn from them. It's just spectacular. Well, thank you very much. Well, today I wanted to get you on because I know over this past 12 months, 12 years, uh, you know, Lori, throughout your career, you've really, you've had some great insights on dealing with constraints, putting together, you know, best-in-class supply chain, SNOP, IBP processes uh, as well. So with that, I had a question that I wanted to kind of pose to you. We want to try to create these unconstrained forecasts. That's what we're, I mean, we preach that. When do those constraints that we know about become part of an unconstrained forecast? Because I hear different kind of theories. I wanted to hear your perspective on this. Sure. Again, those constraints are going to be very unique. You and I always, it's always funny when we're talking to the conference, whether it's on the panel or at the end, people will say, hey, how do you answer this question? And you and I always say for the listeners who go, well, it you're not going to like that, but it depends. <laughs> um, there's just so many variabilities in it. And, you know, whether the channel, the industry, or the methodology will influence that dramatically. Um, you know, I've done a lot with e-com. So if you're dealing with companies and, and where we're going right now and where the world's going with e-com, that's going to be very unique to a make to, you know, order or somewhere where there's more flexibility with that flex, you know, the, the lead time offset for getting those orders out. When you're on e-com, it's instantaneously. And when you have constraints there that may be supply constraints, whether it's capacity, it's coming from overseas and the container backups and things like that we have now, you have to be very careful and constrain that back because it's the best, your forecast has to be a best realization of the estimates that we see. And when those are real constraints, you do have to constrain it, even if it's in the lead time offset. So you can see actions and plans to be had. And how does the company meet their objections? Because if you don't, it can have very large downstream ramifications. Yeah, because you're talking about, I mean, you're in a business recently. I mean, you're looking at, what is it, nine-month lead times on some of your items that you have. So if you're forecasting, here's my unconstrained forecast of what's going to happen. And then you have container issues, multiple you know, supply issues in that nine months. Are you rolling those as constraints into that unconstrained forecast then is in essence what you're doing? Yeah, for what I would say, you know, I know IBF has their maturity matrix on IBP, SNOP. And from my perspective, depending on the company and where it falls on that, it's going to make a big difference. The last thing you want to do is constrain it if it's not going to be a value add for the organization. Some 
groups, you know, if you're kind of in those earlier stages and it's not going to add value, what you don't want to do is, hey, I'm adjusting it and it's only to make my KPIs look better, make my measurements look better, but it doesn't add value to the system. That's when you get these things going on and people are saying, you're just doing that for your best interest. Those companies that have the what if capabilities, those companies that have the analytics where you say, hey, if I do this and I constrain the forecast, it's my most realistic data, but it's inside that frozen or slush period, but it adds value. You know, maybe you're doing um, demand shaping if, because again, it can be both up or down. That constraint can kind of be a double-edged sword where it could be a spike in demand and you're chasing it. So what might you do? Air freight. You might do outsourcing. Your production plant can't do it because of raw materials constraints, things like that. With that, I mean, you mentioned that frozen slushy zone. I mean, if you're looking at, your example, nine-month lead times is what you've, you've ballooned up to because of supply, containers, things of that sort. Is that now become your slushy zone? Is what everything you just mentioned, is, is that your slushy zone? It, again, it's that always that answer. It depends. What you have to look at is that end-to-end -end supply chain. And again, when you go into that maturity matrix, there's going to be times where that could be your end-to-end -end lead time, which could be longer than a nine months it could be shorter depending on the industry or single product you could have single products with one supplier where one might be six months you might have another one where your supplier or you have contracts for raw materials and firm commitments where that might be 12 months or 18 months where you have a backlog and you have blanket commitment orders that can happen. So you got to be very careful. And that's where in a true well-defined IBP process, you have that linkage with your supply versus demand of doing that what if scenarios of what is that downstream ramification when you start pulling those levers. Okay. So, so what I've heard so far, if I could, you know, kind of piece together so even I can understand it. I mean, great stuff you're talking about. Uh, so I just want to dumb it down for me. When you're looking at these constraints, you want to provide the best signal of what's going to happen. So right. if a constraint is a known constraint in that slushy zone, you're adding it in and being able to plan. But then, you, like I said, it depends on the value of that and you're looking at multiple pieces. Am I, am I kind of putting this together right? Absolutely. Again, where you do this is, is it's going to tie back to what are the team, the organization as a whole, what's their primary objective? You know, different organizations, we've talked about things like Amazon, you know, where it might be a very customer centric company and they're saying it's all about customer service. And is that gonna add value to be able to do that? Or other companies might be looking at profitability where they are. And you gotta look at the objectives of the company and how you hit those targets and are the things that you're doing going to contribute to that or not? Yeah. Now, what's some of the, if you're looking at those constraints that you're adding in and multiple different scenarios, what's some of those constraints that a company may see, uh, some hypotheticals that you would then consider adding in to your uh, slushy zone, unconstrained type of plan? Yeah. You know, obviously with the pandemic that just happened, a lot of constraints have been on the supply side where either due to labor with the pandemic and availability with plant shutdowns or individuals being able because of the distance you know a lot of 
plants have had to do the social distance and that impact their throughput. So what their normal was before, it constrained the process. We also know about the, you know, the international container shortages currently, that has done a lot of constraints. When the pandemic kicked in, of course the timings was about the worst one that you can happen. When did it happen? March. Well, that was right after uh, Chinese New Year and also Lunar New Year. And that constrained on top of a big time period where there's a shortage of supplies coming out of Asia anyhow. So, you know, it's it, it, Murphy's Law. It's always one of those one-two punches that hits you all at the same time. Yeah, and I, I think you having a little bit, I mean, I know we talked offline uh, about this as well. The consumer preferences kind of change when they don't have one thing, they may go to something else, uh, you know, and, and consumers are changing their buying habits and what they're doing, channels, item mix, everything's changing there as well because pretty much it can be a constraint. You are absolutely correct. Yeah, we're, we're seeing that through multiple means. So as you mentioned, when there's an inventory shortage, what's going to happen, especially in today's environment, when you're talking about online, that they're going to click and look for the next thing. If, you know, it's a PC, if it's a webcam, if it's, you know, that desk that someone needs at home or a mattress because their kids or family members coming over and they need it this weekend, they're not going to wait for that product. They're going to either go to another product of yours or a competitor product. And, you know, that's also happening on the online, you know, does the packaging handle it? You know, there's things that are seen, obviously you think, you know, my experience in the furniture industry, when you, you talk about a regular bed that goes through typically brick and mortar versus a, a bed in a box through Amazon, you can click it and have it in two days, but the stores may have been shut down or other channels were shut down. What's gonna be easier where it's delivered two days right to your house and it's confirmed delivery through Amazon Prime. Yeah, it makes me think, I mean, it, in essence, when you we, we're talking about constraints versus unconstraints, it's just the most realistic signal that's happening today. You could actually have, because of supply shortages, something that you're constraining and not selling, but another item that you now are increasing the demand on because of consumer is you know switching over and going over to this new product. So you can have both sides really impacting during the slushy zone that you have to be able to manage from a demand planning, forecasting, and a supply response is what you're looking at. You are absolutely correct. And this is the area, in all honesty, where, you know, IBF talks about this and teaches it, where the value add is for a strong demand planning group. What do you do when that happens? Well, we talk about the term of demand shaping and how do we work with the salespeople to say, you know, where are their unconstrained, yeah, what I call unconstrained or availability for inventory and product production capacity, supplier capacity. And can you shape that demand and say, hey, here's where the market's going. Here's where our capacity is. And let's refocus the customer. You know, that plant, that supplier may be down, but I have this one over here and let's do the promotional pushes. Let's do the landing pages. Let's do the ads and things like that to shape that demand to the appropriate place. And that's where that collaboration with the demand planning team and sales can be a huge competitive advantage for the right industry and the right company using it properly. Okay. So, I mean, essentially you're talking about demand shaping as then a response. 
Uh, so it's not just always the supply response. It could be a marketing, could be a demand. You, you know, those could be responses that you have available to you as well is pretty much what you're saying there. Absolutely. There's a lot of tools in the toolbox and you, you got to be looking at each one that you have. And again, whether it's on the supply side, the demand side, leadership, you know, how, how do you manage that? And again, you got to look outside the box. And when I say that, whether that's your department or even your company, there's times I think we've all, you know, in these difficult times with the pandemic or when we've seen major disruptions in industries, you also have to work with your supply partners and sometimes even competitors where you have to reach out. You know, we, we're seeing this with the pandemic where competitive vaccine companies are working with each other for supply and it's for the best interest of everyone, including their company. But, you know, are there times you have to go to the outside and partner with people and you have a win-win situation across the entire group? Okay, you mentioned managing that. I mean, how everything you're talking is coming at us, you know, at the at the speed of business today, which is a lot faster than what the speed of business was two years ago. How do we keep up with that speed of change and, and managing that? You mentioned managing. How do we manage this? Believe me when I say it, we're, we're all fighting fires these days, and it is difficult. Um, some of the key big things is openness, bringing things up to through, you know, the proper channels, whether it's your boss, leadership, hopefully there's that um, bilateral communication. Technology is big these days, as we all know, um, and you guys reflect in your maturity matrix model, having that data set that you're not working on the Excel spreadsheets or, hey, each iteration that it, it, we, you know, it may take days or a week to do an update of demand reviews. It now needs to get down to a single day. Within a day, what if scenarios where it's almost sometimes for some companies, it's real time that you can do a submission, what if, pull that back and do that modeling to say, how do we handle this? Do we have the capabilities? Do we have the constraints? And allow that to pop up. Um, there's a book that I would highly recommend people reading that's really good. It's called um, Exponential Companies, and that has a lot of wonderful information that makes ruin it, it ties very well into today's world and what we're seeing. And in all honesty, the IBP process. You talk you know, about the what if scenarios that's come up a few times now in our conversation already type thing. I'm assuming a what if scenario then is you are balancing the unconstrained back to what the original topic was here. Uh, you're balancing the unconstrained versus the constraints that you know and then the levers that you have. So, I mean, you're pretty much doing that in your what if scenarios. You mentioned that quite a few times. Where does what if scenarios play uh, in an SNOP, in your, you know, frozen, in your slushy zone? Where does the what if scenario play through your planning process? Sure. It's going to actually play in all segments of it. There's, you know, a lot of times the IBP SNOP, the longer range, that strategic. So what I would say in that fluid outside the frozen horizon, that's going to be for, do I have enough capacity in my plants, my production lines, my growth? You know, when you're doing those long-term strap plans, they should always be outside that. So they're key there. 
of if we grow, you know, if you have a the 12 month, three year, five year plan, it's going to be key there for capacity plans. And do you need extra work or a reduction because of a change that you're moving from segments or different types of products? So it out there, it's very beneficial. But even inside the close one, you got to be able to have that partnership to be able to do those similar what if of, hey, if demand drops by 30%, 40%, some of the things that we saw in this pandemic, is that helpful when you're talking about logistics, warehousing? Do you have the storage in a warehouse? If all of a sudden your sales drop by 40, 50, 60%, which a lot of industries saw during that March, April um, time period, can you even store the, the inventory that's coming in on containers? Because a lot of companies have high volume containers and to be able to understand that is very beneficial for a lot of companies. Okay. So uh, I don't know how much time we got here, but you know, we could talk, I mean, for days, you and I definitely, we have lots of hallway conversations at, at the IBF conferences. So we, so we could go into some rabbit holes. One Absolutely. thing I wanted to kind of talk about kind of in closing is really your IBP, SNOP process. I, I mean, by far, you're, you're, you're one of the, you know, you're definitely a thought leader uh, in, in that realm. The audience may not know, but you've actually done, you know, some maturity models on your own. That's, I mean, if you Google it, it's probably one of the highest ranked, you know, as far as one of the articles about maturity models. So you can, you're definitely, you know, have some expertise in this. So we talked about the you know IBP SNOP process. When you're looking at really that unconstrained plan, is that the, going to be the goal of the demand review? And then where are you bringing in the constraints in your SNOP process? In your opinion? Yeah, for me, the unconstrained always. And again. I think there's a key of defining unconstrained because people have maybe different that's what we should have done. We, let, let, we, we, we've right gone, there. yeah, we've gone 20 minutes into this podcast. We've yet to really define what it is. So, I mean, by all means, I think we yeah. probably need to define what we're talking about with unconstrained. Yeah, and again, for at least for me, when I've done speaking on it, training on that, unconstrained needs to be the absolute best estimate of your forecast of what you can do. So, you know, and, and what we know is, well, what the, is there any constraints on that? And I think there needs to be a balance. This goes back to our always answer, it depends. You know, do you have an, an unlimited sales budget capabilities? Do you have an unlimited, you know, what are the assumptions? Does it pass the straight face test? And what you want to do is say, in my organization, under the assumptions that we have, if inventory and capacity kind of things aren't there to constrain it, what would that be? Now, again, people can take this a little too far. We've seen, I think we've all had conversations with some people that are so optimistic that says, hey, I could sell a billion of them. There's no such thing as bad inventory, just as much as you can land, land it. And, and again, I, so I think we all have to be careful of what we define unconstrained because it can be also as much liability as benefit that's in that. 
So yeah, don't talk to a salesperson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that salesperson is the one you're talking about. I know. So, but go ahead. Go ahead. So, sorry to the optimistic salespeople. I didn't mean to uh, poke too hard, but you know. So I think that's the one thing. And then what the constraint is is obviously events that are happening, whether it's in that planning horizon for the current year and or long-term shot or that short-term of the events that happen that says, guys, I lost a customer. I'm losing my online sales. I can see the clicks and they're not going to the carts because it says it's unavailable. Those are the things where all of a sudden we're constraining that demand and we got to give the best representation, consensus or constrained demand. So we're executing tactically in our system so it's most profitable and beneficial for both servicing our customer profitability and then also corrective action. Because the one thing, you know, I don't know if we're gonna have time today, but the metrics and the KPIs, I think it's crucial that you have good forecast accuracy KPIs to handle that constraint and unconstraint. And that goes vertically and horizontally. When I say vertically, you're planning horizons where you know for that slush period and stuff, you wanna make sure there's accountability for the right people at the right place so you can op, you know, uh, find opportunities for improvements where that communication and supply chain may be breaking down. I've enjoyed having you on and, I, and I'm, I'm hoping to be able to get together in the future and see you at a future conference. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, and it's always wonderful to talk with you and your audience. You know, this, this is great opportunity and I appreciate the chance to do it with you. Yeah. So thank you very much. And uh, said, we'll see each other at, uh, down the road at a conference. I sure hope so. See you soon, Eric. All righty. Bye. All right. Bye. So we went through a lot there, you know, unpacking a lot of that is between the constrained and unconstrained wind. And it still may be a little bit, you know, fuzzy on exactly what to do. I think the key is what Steve said. And the key is what I say multiple times as well. It depends. A lot of it depends. He mentioned that, you know, if it adds value types. And that's really what you have to start thinking about. One of the things I would start with is why exactly are you creating this forecast? Is it for financial projections? I mean, if so, then you may need to add some constraints to get a best picture for the finance, finance side of it. Is it to show the true demand potential? Is that what you're doing to be able to, to understand what your true potential is and then be able to add constraints from the supply side and figure out how you can overcome some of those obstacles so you can meet that potential demand. Is it to really quantify impact of key drivers to really understand what's going into it? Are you pretty much just checking the box for an SNOP process and going through the motions? Why exactly are you creating that forecast? There is a key reason you're creating the forecast that a lot of times is going to drive if the constraint adds value to your end result, or if not, if you don't need to show it, or how do you need to show it, and where you need to show it. It helps determine your horizons, your granularity, what constraints you use. In SNOP, when we go back to talking about that, it's always best to try to provide a clean signal especially in the demand review. I mean, we mentioned in the demand reviews, one of the best practices we talk about is that unconstrained forecast. The best picture of what's going to happen outside of your planning, you know, uh, lead time, planning horizons, 
that has the least amount of bias and is unconstrained. That's the best picture. The key to that is understanding your planning horizons then. In the example I gave you at the very beginning and, and we talked with Steve, if you're looking at nine-month lead times or more sometimes, guess what? Your planning horizon and sometimes what you're talking about in SNOP, your unconstrained plan needs to be outside of those horizons because you don't have the constraints of a slushy or even frozen zone constraints that you have. So you need to be able to plan outside of that. Inside of that becomes more of your tactical SNOE, TAC, whatever you want to call it. Really, it's the operational side of your SNOP plans that really becomes then when you provide those constraints in as they occur, rolling them in as you know about them to provide the best signal of what's going to happen inside that zone. So you're continually updating your plans based on what the purpose of that forecast is, where you're providing that, and the horizon you're providing that as well. Part of your goal as well, I mentioned this, would be maybe part of your understanding of a, of a forecast is really understand those drivers, understand and really translating data into a forecast. With that, you're trying to understand the drivers both externally and internally. For that, you may need to understand what the constraints are and what impact it has. Mentioned that something goes down, something else may go up. So you really need to understand exactly what the impact when when a customer goes from X to Y or A to B, then Y and what's exactly those drivers. So you need to be able, if part of your objective in forecasting is always to understand those drivers, you need to understand the impact of constraints they have on your forecast. Understanding the why your forecast is missing and really how that is impacting cost, cash, and service. Ultimately, there's a few things to consider here when we're talking about constrained and unconstrained forecast. One of the first things I would mention, and we didn't get to talk about it in this podcast, he, he alluded to it at the end, but we didn't get to talk about it, is really measuring the forecast error. Be careful. You're measuring an unconstrained forecast to a constrained actual. You have a disconnect there. Make sure your KPIs are aligned to what you can control and what you want to measure. If measuring this, if, if, if you're really measuring your an unconstrained, uh, what the actual constrained occurrence to an unconstrained, that may be okay. But understand, you're measuring those constraints. You're measuring uncertainty in there, and it's not necessarily the accuracy, not necessarily a bad thing. But understand what you're measuring. Always try to measure the same if possible. Measure an unconstrained versus a constrained. Example, orders versus orders. You don't want to measure your orders versus shipments. I mean, as obvious as that sounds, there's companies out there that are still doing that type of thing. You want to try to get, if you're measuring a unconstrained, try to get close to what that unconstrained was then. Because you, can, it's not just an estimate of what you think could happen. It could be a billion units. And yeah, I was perfect. No, you're measuring what exactly is truly that unconstrained and what you, you're forecasting what truly is that unconstrained forecast. The second thing I want to think you consider then is always strive to show true demand. You're all, and we talked about this. Wherever you are on the horizon, you're showing what true demand is, what true demand could be outside of planning horizon, what true demand is now inside of slushy zones because of new constraints and things that you could then shape demand or shift demand with, what true demand is even now inside the frozen zone because it could impact inventory, downstream supply. So every time we're different lags, 
different you know levels of aggregation you're trying to show exactly what that true demand is at all as possible to do that you always get as close to the consumer as you can and get as close to that demand as possible but then understand where you are in the supply chain and where you are what constraints may exist that you then have to add in and then finally don't create your problems but help solve them one of the things that happens is if you are perpetuating these, we didn't talk about this, but this is one of the big dangers in constraining demand signals, constraining any kind of signal, is you help perpetuate that problem going forward. If I'm going to look at this demand and say, okay, I have this supply constraint, so I'm only going to, I'm going to sell you know, 20% less. Now we sell 20% less, and next year we forecast this, we're assuming we're going to sell 20% less again. And we end up you know, forecasting this lower. We don't have the supply because outside of the planning horizons, we've already predicted to be 20% down. Guess what? We end up 20% down because we have another supply shortage. I've seen these shortages perpetuate itself going forward. Or never giving the true signal on the other side of what constraints are and what demands pushing downstream by not changing a, a true signal inside of different frozen you then end up not getting the true signal outside of those zones because you assume your sales are going to happen that never occur. At that, you never get ahead of it because you're not building up supply that's needed because you, once again, getting a false signal. So be careful. If you're not giving the true pictures and you're not giving a true picture of what is actually happening constraints on both ends, a train wreck on either side of the tracks is just as bad. If you're not giving that true picture of what's happening, both of unconstrained and constrained, and using those inside your planning, then what's going to happen is you're going to perpetuate that. You are causing your own problems going forward. Well, I just noticed that we are a constraint for time now, and we need to wrap this one up, and another podcast is in the can. I am Eric Wilson. You can find me at eric at ibf.org, eric at ibf.org. This is IBF On Demand. We have our sponsor, Arkiva, your one plan SNOP software solution. We do have a predictive analytics conference. We talked about some of these conferences IBF is known for. We do have a predictive analytics conference coming up virtually. We have a live event in October 2021 and every year usually it's our flagship conference it's going to be in person in orlando check that one out ibf.org we do do a lot of conferences town halls are virtual in person coming in october uh international in amsterdam as well one of the things special about ibf these are not the cookie cutter you know 15 minute presentations by some big name you know companies that don't have much to say we have quality, we look for really quality speakers that really are adding value. This is a membership organization to really foster the growth of our fields of predictive analytics, forecasting, business forecasting, demand planning, SNOP. And we look for practitioners that have expertise like Steve and others that come to these conferences, speak, share their insights, what's going on, that makes some of these conferences by far in our industry the best there is. So check those out at IBF.org. Check the upcoming conferences coming on. So with that, I'll see you at the future podcast. And don't forget, wash your hands.